Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And one of the many things I have long admired about the French is their readiness to take to the streets. When I was in southeastern France in the early 1970s, there were street protests against Greece's fascist dictator Papadopoulos and Chile's own bad guy Pinochet. Unlike most citizens in the U.S., the French people know they are not powerless they know how to make their voices heard and be effective at creating change. The world has taken note of late in the Yellow Vest movement, shutting down the streets in Paris and elsewhere across France. What does it mean, this Yellow Vest business, not only for the government of France, but for Europe and possibly democracy itself? Is it left or right? Is it class warfare? What, if anything, does the leaderless, amorphous, undefined movement portend for the future of, say, globalization? Does it reflect a mood spreading throughout Europe, most accurately displayed by the authoritarian right-wing regime of Hungary's Viktor Orban? What is the Yellow Vest movement, and how significant is it, really? Our guest today is Cole Stangler, a Paris-based journalist writing about labor and politics. Cole, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Cole Stangler is a former staff writer at International Business Times and In These Times. He's also published work in Vice, The Nation, and The Village Voice, the late lamented Village Voice. He's keeping close track of what's going on around him and has written an article titled Yellow Vests Against the President of the Rich. He says what's going on represents a new front of struggle against neoliberal President Emmanuel Macron. Well, again, thanks for being with us. Let's start with the most obvious question. What is the meaning of the yellow vests? Well, you know, that, that, that's, that's something that's really changed over time. Um, a lot of people are, are still asking themselves that. But I think you're, what you have to go back to is the, the spark for this movement was really the question of the government's proposed increase in the fuel tax. Um, so, you know, first off the bat, French people spend more money on fuel than Americans. And, yes. uh, you know, in the U.S., gas taxes are very low. Um, it's more affordable in, in France. I think if you if you translate the 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 the, the actual figures, it comes out to about six dollars and twenty five cents a gallon. Right. Um, that's how much people are paying at the pump in France. So you had a, an increase in fuel prices over the, really the last year, a twenty five percent increase in the last year. In addition to that, uh, you have the government announcing this fall, back in September, that they're going to increase the fuel tax in addition to this increase in prices. So you had a lot of uh, frustration about that. People talking on the internet. People, there was one petition that garnered a lot of attention that got you know upwards of, of a couple hundred uh, thousand signatures, calling on the government to lower taxes and specifically to to get rid of this fuel tax. And then, uh, in addition to this petition that was circulating, you had someone put out a call on social media on Facebook, a very vaguely worded call on Facebook to block the country on November seventeenth. So now about about a month ago. 
And again, this was very vague. It was on social media. People didn't really know what to make of it. And it was this kind of frustration with the with the the, the fuel tax, calling on the government to to get rid of the fuel tax and to more broadly lower taxes. You had this this first weekend of protest that was unexpectedly really massive. You know, upwards of two hundred fifty thousand people participating across the country, right. uh, blockading streets in their hometowns, blockading the highway, coming out to for rallies, and that was uh, you know really a really organic grassroots um, day of action. And movement has evolved since then. But at the core, this was really about the fuel tax. And I think now it's, it's come to express a, a much deeper frustration with the rising cost of living um, and the government's lack of, of, of care for, for working class people and, and lower class and lower middle class people where, you know, who are really the leading this movement. So I'm guessing the yellow vests are like attention grabbing and they also, you know, it, it shows we're all together here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a way of uh, everybody can see the yellow vest. So they're protesting. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say another important point, because I think this, also, this doesn't get explained uh, that often in the U.S., but the yellow vest, though, so if you're a driver in France, everyone who drives a, a car in France, you're supposed to have a yellow vest in your car to be able to put on in case your car breaks down or you have problems so that you, you know, can, can show yourself on the side of the road. So the idea is everyone has these, these vests in their car um, if they're driving. Ah, uh, I see. Sort of emergency stuff. Yeah, well, we had a demonstration, you remind me, back in 1971. May Day means emergency when we were protesting the war in Vietnam. And that was a pretty good protest, too, back when people realized we could actually go out in the streets and make a change. So they're protesting a hike in the price of fuel. And fuel has been expensive for a long time in Europe, in Italy, and, and pretty much everywhere. Uh why, why did Macron do that? Why did he increase the taxes on it? Before that, I think it's also important to point out that the French people also make a, a lot less money than Americans. You know, the, the, the exchange is that in France, you have a state that provides all these services to you, um, you know, at, at, at low cost or for free, notably health care. Um, you have a much more robust social safety net. But the trade-off is you, you earn less money, uh, tend, tend to be in, you earn, earn, tend to earn less money in France. So just that goes to underline even more, you know, how, how significant these costs are for people when, when they're paying for fuel. Um, so, you know, it, this, this, the, the, the government justified this move as part of their environmental uh, agenda. You know, Macron has, has, has cast himself, as, especially on the global stage, as being someone who cares a lot about, about climate change and seeks to kind of preserve the legacy of the, the Paris Accords. And especially in this context of, you know, mounting populism and, and Donald Trump, Macron sees himself as as a guardian of the kind of liberal world order, and also as someone who takes climate change seriously and and needs to uh, you know address it as 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 president in his own country, and so initially the, the the fuel tax is is was justified as part of the government's broader environmental strategy, and there's been you know a lot of criticism as well of, of that within France, but that's the way the the government framed this. I see. So. And, and there's always a question, you know, who pays for, for cleaning things up? I mean, what about fairness? And, you know, the hike in fuel prices, I'm guessing, may not be so significant in Paris, the big cities, where there's public transportation, a really good public transportation system. How, how significant is it that this movement appears to be from what you call La France Paris-Ubarn, from outside uh, Paris? Yeah, so so you know, I think that it's it's true. There there's two really big uh, segments that are supporting this this movement that are really been at the forefront of, of leading the protest. And I mean, that's another interesting point about this. I think it's one of the reasons why this grabs attention both in France 
especially but also abroad, is that when you think about protests in France, it's, it's true of the international press, but it's also true in France. When you think about protests, you immediately think of Paris, you think of, of maybe other cities, but really, really focused around Paris. And when organized labor has its days of action that they, that they call pretty frequently, you know, in, in a given year, when they have, you know, the, the last previous, the previously, you know, large social movements in France against the retirement age, um, against raising the retirement age, excuse me, against the labor law reform, you know, that tends to involve these big street protests in, Par- in, in Paris. And what's so interesting about this movement is that it really began outside outside of Paris, and I think that's also uh-huh. contributes to the you know the sense of kind of fascination that that journalists had, as well as the kind of mystery around it. Is that you know it's it's not a good thing, but there's there's a real lack of of connection from a lot of the the media establishment in, in France with more rural parts of the country. So so yeah, exactly. This 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 started in in rural parts of the country and what's called the peri-urban in right. France, which which means kind of really these these rural. Um, more rural uh, kind of outer bands of the suburbs. So not quite the suburbs, but but not quite completely rural, kind of a mix of, 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 of in-between. And that's really where the movement has come from. There's a, a very well-known demographer here in France, uh, Hervé Lebras, who did a, who did a map of where the, the protests seemed to be the most largest, huh. seemed, to, seemed to be the biggest. And what he found was that you can really draw a kind of diagonal line going from northeast France all the way to the southwest so missing Paris, but kind of passing to the south of Paris, and these are these are parts of the country that that feel forgotten, that uh-huh. rely heavily on state investment to support their communities, that have high levels of, of joblessness, that are being affected by by the government's um, withdrawal of of, of 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 investment in public services, and that's really where the, the movement has been the strongest. Oh, interesting. So I'm guessing that. I mean, there's a lot of people in the countryside of France, you know, Paris is like the destination for all tourists in the whole world, but there's a lot of other France. And I have a feeling that people from the countryside of France, the uh, uh, the rural areas, may feel left out from the benefits of globalization and neoliberalism, which have probably fairly effectively helped the big cities. Is that the case? Am I getting that right? Well, no. I mean, I I, I don't want to draw too much of a. I don't think that's the the the, the primary divide in, in in French political life. Like a lot of like most countries, the the big divide is between the rich and and the rest of the population. Oh, France yeah. has a lot of wealthy people. Um, it has a lot of people that that are not that are not wealthy as well. That that have that have been suffering. I think that that's that's the ultimate kind of common denominator here. But we've seen neoliberalism affect different parts of the population in different ways. People that are living in the, in the urbanized suburbs that tend to be uh, either immigrants themselves or from, from immigrant origins, they're affected um, by the government's policies and by, by a withdrawal of the state the same, in, in, in a different way than, than the people that uh, have been mobilizing really to lead the Yellow Bus Movement have been affected. And what's really important to note here is that you know, France is, is, is a country that relies heavily on, on state investment. I think you know, that's another important point to make here. When, when I see, you know, when I talk to some, some of my friends in the U.S., or when I see the way that especially the American right has been talking about the, the Yellow Vest movement, and, you know, Donald Trump actually, you know, famously or infamously <laughs> tweeted about this, as he, as he does about everything, you know, he said that Trump and, and, and people of his ilk see this as kind of a, a, a you know, kind of pseudo Tea Party-esque movement that, that's anti-government, that's anti-tax, you know, uh, get the government out of my life sort of thing, which is the the kind of libertarian lens you can view the movement from. But 
that that's really separate from what, what what's happening in, on the ground in, in France and from these communities. What, what, these people that are protesting, that, that are in rural areas, that are living outside the big cities, they're not asking the government to to get out of their lives. <laughs> they're they're asking the government to act more fairly, to act more justly. They're not they're not questioning the role of the government in the economy. What they're saying is that why should we be expected to pay for this tax increase? when the super-rich are literally getting a massive tax cut from Emmanuel Macron. And that was the, one of the first things that Macron did in his budget, his very first budget as president since taking office in, in May 2017. So last fall, his first budget, he enacted a massive tax cut um, for, for, for the super-rich. There's a wealth tax in France that had existed before that, affects pe- that affected people with over 1.3 million euros in assets. And Macron uh, got rid of that, of that wealth tax, and now it applies just to real estate assets. But I, you know, if, if you're living in, you know, let's say in southwestern France, in a community that has seen um, job loss or is not connected to the main public rail system, and you see the government saying, you know, time for you to, to pony up and, and, and spend another 100, 200 euros per month in gasoline, while you see the super rich getting a, a massive tax cut, you know, that's, that's, that's infuriating. <laughs> and that's a reason to, to come out in the streets. That's, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I would think so. You know, expecting uh, people of more moderate means to subsidize people of the highest means, yeah, that could bother some people. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We are keeping democracy alive, and we're talking to Cole Stangler, who is in Paris. We're talking about the Yellow Vest movement, what's really going on there. Uh, Trump likes to spin things his way. Of course, imagine that. He's wrong. But uh, people, I think, in Europe seem to have a, a more of an understanding of the term neoliberalism. I, I don't think it's well understood here on this side of the Atlantic. What is, what is your sense of the common uh, understanding of, of neoliberalism? Well, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a big question. But I, I, think, I think the way that people tend to, to view it here in France is that it's, it's a, a set of policies that your the government is withdrawing its role in the economy, rolling back uh, its presence and to the benefit of of the private sector and also trying to enact policies that benefit uh, the rich and and businesses mm-hmm. seeing seeing that as the as the the, the path towards progress and, and you know, the sense that the state again this is the the, the what the neoliberals would say the sense that the French state is kind of a a dinosaur and uh, is too large and in stifling economic growth, and that in order to realize, uh, you know, France's full potential, that the, the government needs to really open up the economy. It needs to begin privatizing. Uh, it needs to liberalize when it can, and that's how France is going to realize its its kind of repressed potential. And that that's the way that uh. that you know certain certain people in the business press speak here, and it's the way that the French right has 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 spoken for for decades now. And it's it's interesting that what you describe as kind of the the platform of neoliberalism uh, sounds an awful like like the uh, the Clinton wing of the American Democratic Party. They tried that, and it alienated a lot of people. And we've all noticed uh, they didn't prevail. Uh, but it, I think people do have an understanding there. So, the uh, the the rolling back the tax on the rich. So that was a tax that had been there taxing people on assets above what is it 1.3 million euros or something like that how did that i mean correct, ta- correct, yeah. taxing assets rather than income how did that work 
Well, the, 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 the super rich people with people with that, with, with assets totaling more than that, had to declare it and had to pay a tax on it uh, every, every year. And it's also part of why, you know, you know, France has also been dealing with this, this, this problem of tax evasion that, that's happening uh-huh, on a really massive yes. scale uh-huh. where people are, you know, the, 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 the wealthy and the, the super wealthy will, you know, will flee elsewhere, uh, you know, Switzerland or Belgium. Um, you know, Gerard Depardieu, you know, very famously went to, went to Russia. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's a very kind of emblematic uh, policy as well. And I think that, 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 that that's why it's important here in the context of, of Macron is that, you know, he, he, he saw this as sending a, a, a negative signal to, to the business community, to, to employers in France, despite the fact that, you know, I think it's, it's also important to note France is a, is one of the world's largest economies. Uh, sure. You do quite well if you're an employer here, uh, if, you, if you're in the right business. Um, there's a lot of wealthy people here. I, th- I think sometimes France can get kind of mispresented as as being this quote unquote socialist country. And, and you know, the, the, the fact is, there's a tremendous amount of, of wealth and, and, and rich people in the country still. Well, people, I think, especially in America, have mixed uh, confusion about the word socialism. They, you know, they. They try to paint it as, well, socialist means Venezuela. Hardly the case. And there has been right. a, a, a traditional socialist party. That, that's a curious thing to me. You know, the, the, the socialists have occasionally been in power and then sometimes out of power. But there's sort of an establishment socialist party. Where, where do they fit in all this? I, you know, I would think there might be uh, an opportunity for, for socialists with, with this anger at uh, you know government serving the rich at the expense of everybody else where is the traditional socialist party are they just uh you know putting their tail between their legs and hiding because they they're not in charge of this thing what's going on with them well you know uh, you're, you're right there, there, there's been there's been a lot of talk about how, how can the french left really really benefit from from this movement because if you know in a lot of ways um this is what the what the french left's bread and butter is it's about it's about questions of wealth it's about the working class being left behind. This is a, you know, the left and the parties of the left historically in France, both the Socialist Party and then, you know, the, the Communist Party really, really before it, you know, saw themselves as vehicles for, for supporting uh, the concerns of, of the working majority in France. And so the people that are mobilizing today would tend to fit that electorate. What's happened, though, really over the last couple of decades, um, and actually even, even more recently, is we've seen a, a complete fracturing of the, of the French political uh, the, the French political environment, or the, the, the political scene, really. Um, the Macron's predecessor, François Hollande, the, who, who was a socialist candidate who won the election in 2012 and served five years until, until 2017, was an extremely unpopular president. He was elected uh, with a strong majority, with a control of, the, of, of parliament, with the control of the National Assembly. And François Hollande, uh, ended up being a very uh, unpopular president, and in a lot of a lot of ways, uh, I think what, what's responsible for that for the unpopularity is is what we've just been talking about, in, which is that Hollande endorsed uh, supported a very neoliberal uh, governing approach. He he very famously implemented um, labor law reforms uh, designed to make it easier for employers to uh, lay workers off and to um, to undermine working standards on on a local level. Um, and Alon was really the, the the protege for for the current president uh, Emmanuel Macron. I think I think to transition a little bit, I think that that's another important uh, element here. Um, you know, when when Emmanuel Macron, the current president, was elected in 2017 in May, 
he was elected for for a very simple reason, I think, and and it, it, it's pretty clear in France why he won that election, and that's because of his opponent, who was Marine Le Pen of the far right National Front Party. So the the daughter of Jean Marie Le Pen, the the founder of the National Front Party, which began in the 1970s as a uh, outright neo-fascist party, a very uh, racist, oh, yeah. anti-Semitic party in the 1970s that transformed itself to, to kind of present a more moderate uh, position over, over you know, in, in, in recent times, but, but still has that, that, that far-right um, uh, mm. vision, I think, that's at the, at the center of its politics, even though it's presented a little bit differently. And Marine Le Pen was the candidate for the National Front, and, and people in France voted for Macron because they didn't want Marine Le Pen to, to, to be president. He, he won with, you know, over 30, uh, 30 percentage point majority over Le Pen, so oh. a pretty, um, pretty clear victory. But if you look at polls for, for why people voted for Macron, the current president, the number one reason was to, was to deny Le Pen the presidency. And I think the mistake was, after the election, some people looked at that margin, they looked at the fact that he has a majority in parliament, and they mistook that for, for a political mandate to implement his, his policies, to implement his his vision, um, which is a very pro-business, uh, neoliberal vision of, of governance, and, and that doesn't actually represent the, the majority of, of or the views of the majority of the French population. And that's really where, where the conflict lies, is that Emmanuel Macron is not a president who has, who has wide backing. The, the wealthy people like him, and uh, everybody else is uh, skeptical. I'm, I'm, once again, from the optics of this side of the Atlantic, we were, many of us were supporting the Democratic nominee, because she was not Trump. She was not Trump. Sure, yeah. But what the heck she stood for? Who knew? You know. But in France, mm. it, it seems to have worked because uh, people were more familiar with and had more time to learn about the National Front and the you know racist fascism of, of the National Front. And so they got the not uh, Le Pen, <laughs> which uh, right. now people have an opportunity to, to say something about that. And and you know, there's concern about I me. Mean, we talk about Trump, of course, and and looking at Europe, populism, populism can be of the right and the left. People from the grassroots angry at the are angry at the government that does not serve them. That's what populism is. It can. What are the? I mean, what about the the Mélenchon, who I, I believe was uh, the uh, Communist Party candidate, and people did not freak out at the word communist in in France traditionally. And Le Pen on the right. Are they making use of this? Uh, and, you know, people have concern about, well, you know, looking, frankly, in the 1930s in, in neighboring uh, Germany, the, the conservative rural people had deep disdain for the urban sophisticates. The, and the country folk took, mm-hmm. took down the liberal cosmopolitan republic and replaced it with a rather ugly nationalistic seemingly populist Nazi government, and though obviously not the intent of the Yellow Vesters, there are, are there signs of antipathy from the country people, the working class, cultural resentment toward a government that appears to serve mainly the rich of the cities? And could that tend to the right, do you think? What's, what's your sense of that, uh, Cole? It's true. There is a there is a cultural resentment from from the rural parts of the country towards towards the cities and and, and really Paris, I think, in, in in particular. And unfortunately, you know, that can be the the prism through which a lot of people view view politics. And I think you know, I don't think that's that that's that's really the right view. <laughs> you know, I, I think that 
whether you're protesting in, in, in Brittany or protesting in the North, you know, you have more in common with, ultimately, at the end of the day, more in common with a working class um, kid from the Paris suburbs, uh, you know, than you do with someone who's living in the left bank in a swanky apartment um, in, in, in the center of the city that, that, you know, that's paid a couple million euros for their apartment. So at the end of the day, I think the class cleavages are, are really, you know, the, the, the most fundamental, but it's true that, that, that the kind of cultural angle through, you know, people, people tend to, to, to view things in that light, you know, geographically or culturally. Um, and there, there is certainly a risk for that. But I think what's also interesting to point out is, so again, this, this question of, you know, who's going to benefit the, the right or the left from, from the movement, which I think is kind of an open question in, in a lot of ways. But there's a very interesting study that was done, really the first uh, kind of academic level study, real research study that was done on the Yellow Vest movement. Again, kind of caught everyone by storm, this movement. People didn't know what to make of it. Uh, a lot of these people protesting weren't tied to any political parties. Uh, they don't have a, a real history of activism, but just this kind of mass outburst of, of, of frustration, really, with, with a disparate set of demands. So you had you know, the first research studies, I was saying that they really tried to, to look at these people that were protesting and, and ask them what, what they support and, and kind of where they, how they identify. And very interestingly, and this was published in Le Monde, I think now at this point, probably a little bit over a week ago, it was published in Le Monde. And, and this, this study showed that most people on a left-right spectrum actually saw themselves as being more, more left-wing than, than right. Uh, majority saw themselves as, as left-wing. And then furthermore, if, if you looked at what kind of issues that people identified as the issues that, that drew them to protest, you know, they were bread and butter economic issues, things about, like, like we were talking about before, the, the rising cost of living, um, tax, tax justice, so the sense that they're being overtaxed and that, that it's unfair, uh, a sense that wealth distribution is unfair. These were the, the core drivers of the movement, according to the study. And, and at the bottom of the list, really, around 1% or 2% of, the, of the, the people said that immigration was a, was a concern. So it's probably 1% or 2% more than it needs to be, but it's still uh, a very small number. And I think that that's important to, to point out about what, what people want. But, you know, then this, then this question of, of, of what political parties are going to benefit from it, you know, it's a question that people are asking a lot. People have asked me a lot, and, and, and the fact is that it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. But for me, hmm. what I've seen, the, the, the fact is no one's leading this movement. Right. <laughs> these, these are people that are organizing this in this kind of very messy fashion on social media, through Facebook groups. They'll then send emails afterwards and, and you know have email chains to communicate. But parties don't have the means to control this movement, for better or worse. I don't think it's going to be Le Pen or Mélenchon. They both offered support to varying degrees of the movement, and I think each of them use the movement through their own lens of, of, of politics, but in terms of the actual planning and organization of, of these protests, there isn't, there isn't much of it. Again, that's not a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's just a fact. Mm. You, you saw it at some of these protests in Paris, the lack of organization. People are showing up and don't know what, which direction to march in. I think that, that speaks to <laughs> wow. you know, the lack of, of, of real organization here. Well, that really says a lot. They don't know which direction to march in. What about young people? I, I, I suspect that there's a large uh, millennial population there that's, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s that's, that's trying to make their way. Have, where do they fit in all this? Well, you know, what, what, what we've seen, interestingly, is it, it kind of took a, a few weeks of protests. We now just had the, the fifth round of, of, of protests. There are calls for a sixth round of protests this weekend, though I suspect that will be significantly lower than, than the previous ones just because of the 
the weather for one and the vacation, you know, <laughs> with, with, with the holidays coming up. Right. But I think maybe in January we'll see more. But in, in any case, after you now five five rounds of protests, what we saw in kind of the last the last couple of weeks in particular is really the involvement of the, the, the student movement, both on a high school level and at the uh-huh. university level. Uh-huh. And what's also interesting about this is that these protests are, are coming from not the, the kind of usual suspects of, of, of blockades and protests, certainly on the high school level. They're happening in, in the suburbs. Um, they're happening in, 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 high, in high schools that don't typically have protests. Wow. And what, what, what these students have been doing is, is I think, latching on to the Yellow Bus movement as a, as a kind of thing, as an opening for themselves to put their own demands out on the table. So obviously, you know, these people, these, you know, these people are not driving cars themselves. The, the, the age uh, for the, the driving limit in France is, is 18 years old. So oh, it's not like the U.S., but you have people that, certainly high school students that see themselves as, as, as you know, have sympathy for the movement. And one of the, one of the big demands, a couple of the demands that the high school students have, have put forward is, they are upset about the government's reforms to this um, this very important uh, exit examination that they have to take, and then they're also very upset about, uh, more importantly, this new uh, law that was passed by, by by Macron's party in Parliament, which introduces for the first time in France uh, restrictive admissions procedures for higher education for for university level, so giving schools more of an opportunity to to reject candidates. And oh, wow. again, it's important to put that into, into the French context. Where you know you can, where people consider university education to be a to be a right and a common good and mm-hmm. something that that people should have access to and, and and this this new law really gives more authority to universities to reject candidates and, and one of the criticisms is, is people see that law as kind of the first step towards uh, kind of uh, Anglo-Saxonization of the French system, which is to say, um, you know, high stakes admission and and high cost ultimately. So. Wow. High school students have been been mobilizing about about those two questions. University students also we saw more recently joining the movement as well, blockading a few different campuses in in, in Paris and also in the south, I believe. Um, and one of the big issues there, in addition to um, that that question of the end of the new admissions procedures, which which high school students and university students are upset about, uh, university students have, have also put forth a critique of another reform passed by Macron. Uh, which would significantly hike um, tuition fees for non-EU uh, foreign students. So, in the French context, when you when you talk about <laughs> when you talk about non-EU foreign students, that basically means students from the Maghreb, from North Africa, and it means students from from Sub-Saharan Africa that tend to come to France for their studies because of the the cultural ties um, with, with with France, and so. The government is, is, is wanting to massively hike tuition fees to upwards of, of a couple thousand euros per year, mm. which in the French context is a lot. So, so anyhow, all, all this to say, high school student movement, university movement, both lashing onto the yellow vest while also attaching their own, their own, um, oh. their own demands. Oh, interesting. It's sort of amorphous. People can uh, assign to it what they like. Uh, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, we're talking about the yellow vest uh, on Keeping Democracy Alive with uh, Cole Stangler, who is in Paris. A great connection, nice and clear, I have to say. And we're talking about the yellow vest. And talking about young people, there are some people here on this side of the Atlantic who you know, are very anti-Trump and anti-fascism and anti-racism, which is, of course, I think a good thing. But they've gotten sucked into this Antifa movement, which 
young people, some young people, mainly you know white males, quite frankly, young white males, have gotten into the violence aspect of it. And as someone wrote, they seem to be more uh, inspired by Batman comics than by any you know actual political uh, understanding. What about this this violence that we have seen on on American TV? People, you know, it's sort of fun, I suppose, for for young uh, males largely. And uh, how is that going over? And why, you know, tell us about that if you would, please. Well, you know, there is a there is a kind of organized uh, anarchist anti anti fascist movement in France that that predates the the LFS movement that is really made itself more known in, in some of the union demonstrations over the last the last few years, going back to the labor law uh, reforms that were passed by Hollande, or excuse me, passed under Hollande. So I think that, that, that's kind of been a, a, a presence in, in, in politics here. But the violence that we've seen with the, the Yellow West movement, I think for the most part, um, you know, it's hard to say, it's hard to say who it's coming from. There's, there's um, you know, there's a word in, in, in French, the, which people use kind of as a blanket term to refer to the people that, that, that are doing the violence, which is the, the casseur. So casseur meaning people that break things. So the, literally the breakers. So you've had people uh-huh. kind of, I mean, it was really mostly after the, in, in particular, I should say, after the, the so-called Act 3 of the LBS movement, so the third weekend of protest, we saw these really um, violent clashes uh, in the in, in the Champs-Élysées and and. Um, and elsewhere, sorry, I should say Act 2 was where the, the violence first broke out on, on the Champs-Élysées in a significant way. And then Act 3 was the, was the one that, that really, I think, drew the, the foreign attention to what was happening, where you had not just violence on the Champs-Élysées, this very famous street in Paris, but also um, riot, you know, had other rioting and, and, and cars burning in, in, in the city. And yeah. coming from, from people that aren't necessarily really supportive of the movement, but really it as a kind of opportunity to, to throw stuff and to, to fight with the police. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that got a lot of media attention, yeah, but, of course. you know, I, I think it's important to, to note as well, and this isn't to romanticize violence in any way, but, you know, there, there has been violence elsewhere in, in, in the country. Um, and there, there have been some intense clashes with the, with the police. And I don't think we can only just chalk those up to, to, um, you know, the kind of professional troublemakers, even though they do exist, but, you know, there, there, there has been, you know, there has been some violence from, from protesters as well, in addition to the police. And that's a part of the movement that, that, that's real. I don't think you can deny it. Um, you know, it, it's not, again, not about not to romanticize violence, but there right. has been, you know, force uh, on, on, on both sides here. And, you know, in some ways that the I, I, I think the, the violence is part of why the government uh, took this movement so seriously and why they why they why they needed to, why they felt they needed to, to concede. Again, I'm, I'm not advocating, you know, but right, no, I, think, I, understand. I think that's one of the factors why, why it grabbed the government's attention. I think, I think more importantly than that, why the government conceded, which is to say why they canceled this fuel tax increase that was going to be take effect in 2019, um, was the fact that this movement was coming. So again, more importantly, more important reasons for why the government um, conceded, I think it had to do with the fact that this is a movement that was coming outside of the traditional political and labor organizations, uh-huh. and it, it really scared them. You know, uh-huh. it, it scared Macron a lot because, you know, typically if, if you're dealing with the protest in France, you know, whether it's labor law reform or, or another reform, you know, you know who's leading the protest. You know who's calling out right. to mobilize, and you can address the problem by calling them in to negotiate, and you can have a conversation and, and, and talk about it, and then ultimately figure out what, the, what their demands are and, and, and meet them, right. or at least meet them halfway. 
And with the Just yellow pretend. vest movement, the government didn't know who to talk to. <laughs> they, they didn't know what to do. And I think, I, think that, I think that really scared them, even more than the violence. I think that scared them. And then another third reason um, is the fact that this movement was so popular. It had, it had, it, it's declined a little bit now as, it, as it's gone on. But you know, at, at its peak, really, 70% of the population supported this movement, which is, which is a really significant, wow. uh, significant number, especially in France, where most political parties poll under 50%. There's not a single political party that has more than 50% approval. People are, are upset at the political establishment and, and, and most political figures. So the Yellow Vest movement had, had this massive public support. The government didn't know who to talk to to, to, meet the, to, meet the, to quell the movement. And I think that's what pushed them to, in addition to these spectacular images of violence, what pushed them to really make concessions. And those concessions have been, uh, at the, first off, at the beginning of December, beginning of this month, canceling the fuel tax mm-hmm. increase for 2019. Mm-hmm. So that, that, was the first, that was the first step. And then as the protests continued, uh, about a week later, Emmanuel Macron announced another round of, of concessions. So three big points. Uh, one, most importantly... Um, a, a wage hike for low-wage workers. So low-wage low, low workers through this state social program are going to be eligible to around 100 euros, uh, 100 euro monthly wage increase. So that was the, the first big point. You also had the government canceling or proposing to cancel a, a, um, a tax on retirement benefits that, that affected low-income retirees the, mm. the most. Um, and... Um, the um, sorry, it's, it's, it's escaping me here. The the, the third plank of the um, of the reforms. Oh, excuse me. It was it was um, to de to detax uh, overtime pay. So oh. so not having to pay uh, taxes or, or social charges. So you know to Social Security um, on on overtime pay. I mean, these were the three big three big planks here that you know are going to cost cost a couple you know if not several you know billions of, of euros a, a cost here that the government deemed necessary to to, to calm this movement. So at the end of the day, you know, the Yellow Vest achieved, uh, even if, if, if we don't see much more out of the movement, mm-hmm. uh, quite, quite a, a significant amount of, of achievements here. Yes, indeed. And I, I think about the old Occupy Wall Street movement that disappeared, but it had its effect. It really changed the national conversation quite a bit. And that uh, effect continues. And, you know, decentralization lack of, of uh, identifiable leaders, uh, it's, it, it befuddles the government for sure. And it probably makes it sort of uh, more enjoyable for the people who are participating on the streets. And uh, I, I must say that uh, uh, French history uh, understands the role of spectacle. You know, that comes down from uh, early in the 20th century. And this has been, uh, there's been a lot of spectacle and all this, you know, what people see of it, you know, the, how it's presented, a picture's worth a thousand words and all that. Now, unions have been particularly strong in France, the railway union, etc. Where are they in all this? Are they also befuddled and don't quite know what to make of it? Yeah, I think, I think they certainly were at the beginning of this. Unions were, were really caught off guard. Uh, they, you know, the, the head of the, the powerful, or I should say, you know, once... <laughs> You know, formerly far more powerful, but but still still with some quite some clout today. The CGT Union, the General Confederation of Labor, the head of the, the head of that union, when asked about the first day of protest, uh, November seventeenth, the beginning of the Yellow Bus movement, he said that they didn't want to be that the CGT Union didn't want to be supporting a movement that was also supported by by the far right. So they saw this as, as basically just a, a kind of one off protest against against uh, taxes. 
and something supported by the far right, and so didn't didn't quite seem like something that fit organized labor's agenda, and and, and certainly not the the, the CGT. Yeah, they so they were stayed on the sidelines. Uh, the Confederation didn't endorse. But what we saw as the movement continued and continues is that we've seen local union activists from both the CGT and and, and as well as other unions get involved on on the local level. And again, it depends on on what city, and that that really matters because this movement is so decentralized, as as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, it really depends on what city we're talking about, what region we're talking about. But we've seen unions get involved to varying degrees on the local level. Uh, at the same time, the the confederations, though the which really kind of roughly corresponds to you'd say the AFL CIO versus when you talk about local unions, uh, the confederation has 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 steered clear of offering a, a full thro- full throated an, an endorsement of the movement. The Last last weekend, we saw another round of, of protests, um, and unions, the CGT, called for a day of action uh, just before that that big day of protest on Saturday. The, the protests had been typically taking place on Saturday, the yellow bus ones. The CGT called for a protest on Friday to, to, to on the one hand, uh, show its, its solidarity with the movement, but on the other, you know, it, it wasn't the same day of protest. Um, they didn't, in their statement um, that they put out, people to protest um, on, on, on Friday, they didn't actually mention the Yellow Vest movement by name. They talked about kind of generalized anger and frustration, which that might seem like a minor detail, but clearly the, you know, the message was received. The CGT didn't, didn't actually say the word Yellow Vest, <laughs> the, yeah. the term Yellow Vest in, in their statement. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, they've, been, they've been getting a lot of heat on the local level, where, where local activists to varying degrees are, 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 are very much involved in, in the movement. It's important to say as well, though, Again, uh, I don't want to, you know, you know, offer you just a, an uncritical take, but it's important to say as well that in, in certain parts of the country, uh, the, the movement, the yellow bus protesters do, don't want union activists there. They see union activists yeah. as, as contaminated and as kind of representative of, of the establishment or as, as, as being corrupted in different ways. And so they don't want to have, any, to have anything to do with unions the same way they don't want to have anything to do with political parties. And again, it, it just matters so much on, it depends on the local level, what, you know, what, what the dynamics look like on the ground. Boy, I guess one thing you can say about this is it's certainly anti-establishment, all kinds of establishments. And, and you write in your article that, that Macron is, quote, a president who prides himself on staying above the fray, on not letting the noisy French street influence his policies. How's that working out? Well, you know this this was the this was the movement that made him that made him bend and that made him uh, made him finally concede. We you know saw at the beginning of his administration they've been able to weather a few different big big strikes and, and protest movements. We saw it with the labor law reform that he approved last fall. We saw it with the rail reform uh, that he approved in this in the springtime. And he really was, was humiliated, I think. There's another word to use, to, to, to use here. He was humiliated by the LS movement because Macron, who is someone who not only doesn't like to concede to protest and doesn't have much fondness for, for protests or, 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 or unions, um, not only did he, did he concede, but he was actually forced through these concessions to, to spend billions and billions of euros, um, which you know, puts France right up against the line with the, the EU budgetary rules. So Macron is someone who doesn't like to, who, who you know, has talked about state overspending and wants to, to fix France's budget, um, or excuse me, to, to cut France's budget and, and to keep uh, more in line with, with uh, the official EU standards. Uh, Macron is, is, 
you know, happy, having to, to really break his, um, um, you know, test, test his own ideological commitments here. Um, and I think the, the lesson here really is if, if, you know, you're a yellow vest protester or really anyone else in France who sees this government uh, enacting policies uh, that, that, that you disagree with, and, and, you know, they tend to be doing that quite a lot, quite a lot here because Macron has un- under 30% approval ratings, um, the, the the lesson here clearly is that protest works. Yes. Protest protest makes a difference. The government the government will cave in. The, the, this administration here, in that respect, isn't isn't unique. It's not different. It's not fundamentally different from the other ones. The way that in, in at least in, in the way that Macron presented it as being, um, if you get enough people out on the street to mobilize, you will get the government to 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 bend. And that's that's clearly the the lesson here. And. I think we'll we'll see how it plays in, in yeah. the next few years here as, as as Macron continues his presidency. Um, will he govern more cautiously, or will he continue to try to ram through this agenda that that doesn't have much, you know, um, or in, in 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 some cases it does not have much much popular support. There is some degree of humor in all this. One can tell that that uh, the government is befuddled. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to make of it. And as you say, it was you know, very decentralized and it uh, lacked leaders. But a platform of sorts finally did appear. You write that points of the platform seek to make French's political institutions, uh, to remake French's political institutions, an end to the Senate, more frequent use of referenda, and the ability of citizens to pass laws themselves. Wow, does that sound Jacobin for those unfamiliar with French revolutionary history, the Jacobins were the most radical and ruthless of the political groups formed in the wake of the revolution. And in association with Robespierre, they instituted the terror of 1793 and 1794. This idea of, I mean, it sounds kind of really anarchistic and, you know, passing laws themselves. What do you, what do you make of that? Well, we, we've seen, we've seen, so, that 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 those that list of demands that was actually presented to the government in the one formal meeting that that took place with with some yellow vest protesters in the government that list of the demands has, has evolved and again some some people on the local level want different things some people want um you know exclusively a higher minimum wage other people are more interested in in tax cuts but as you as you pointed to this 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 question of the referendum has become a an increasing focus of 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 the movement We've seen uh, calls for a citizens' uh, referendum initiative, so giving citizens the ability to both pass laws um, and also to revoke laws they disagree with, um, and also uh, to revoke elected representatives they don't like. France has a law already that authorizes referendums, but it requires a significant amount of support in uh, from Parliament, in addition to hundreds of thousands of signatures. Um, from across the country, so there is a, a there is a, a, a law that already exists. What some of the LOS protesters want is to clearly expand that and to to make it much more encompassing and to give more power to to to, to people to to really weigh in politics. And I think you know I, I think I think what it comes from is a sense that the government isn't looking out for people and uh-huh. a sense that people want more democracy in their lives. That's where it's coming from. I think you know. There, there, there's a lot of critiques you could you can make about the about the referendum proposal, and it should be criticized um, for you know all sorts of reasons. I think that one of the one of the ones right off the bat is 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 how how does how does that 
how does the ability of citizens to, to pass laws conflict with certain rights that have to be guaranteed for certain parts of the population? What do you do if, if people want to, say, reenact, uh, reimplement France's death penalty, which was repealed in the 1980s? Mm. What do you do if people want to deny uh, gay marriage, um, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, want to repeal gay marriage? I think there's all kinds of critiques, but, but I think it's really coming from the sense that people want more democracy in their lives, and, uh, you know, it's coming from a sense that the government doesn't, doesn't care about them. And we've seen we've seen that that initiative take up some win some more momentum recently. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier Jean Luc Mélenchon of the the left wing uh, La France Insoumise, the name of the party, which translates roughly to um, I, I like to say rebellious France. Some people say France unbowed. E- either way, Mélenchon of the of the left has has kind of embraced that proposal. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think I don't think this this, this proposal is, is is going anywhere. And which is to say, I don't think it's, it's going to be passing right. anytime soon. But who knows? In the next in the next few years, there's there's a lot of uncertainty here. If, if that's 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 that is definitely for sure. <laughs> um, it's 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 a exciting and 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 frightening yes. um, and really unpredictable uh, political moment in France today. It it certainly is. I am reminded of fifty years ago the French worker. Uh, student worker uprising of 1968, which was probably the biggest thing until this. And there was some fantastic graffiti that I remember hearing about. It said, be realistic, demand the impossible. And, you know, some of these demands, not going to happen. But the push for more democracy uh, probably uh, can actually happen. And the effects on the European Union, people, there's a lot of concern about that. The European Union seems to be kind of creaky these days. You know, it's it's not real strong and not real solid with the Brexit, with the rebellions in, in Greece and, and in Italy. Thomas Friedman wrote an op-ed in the New York Times recently asking if this Yellow Vest movement signifies the start of the end of Europe. Or Hungary's Orban's call, you know, the dictator of Hungary, he's calling for a restoration of national sovereignty. It's such calls, you know, right-wing calls of, of nationalism, is that factoring into the Yellow Vest movement? I imagine it must be part of it because it's so, you know, amoebic and just who knows where it's going. But I, I wonder about its effects on, on the European Union. What's your sense of that, uh, Cole? Well, I, I think, I think like, I, like I mentioned earlier, um, there's been a lot of speculation of the effects. And with, with all due respect to, to Thomas Friedman, you know, I think what, what, he, what, oh, he's, he's, often wrong. what, he's, what he's written about with the, with, with the, <laughs> with the Iraq War and a number of other subjects that uh, he, he's not someone who, who tends to know a, a whole lot what he, what, what, he, what he writes about all the time. Um, <laughs> True, for sure. oh, oh, I agree completely, by the way, about there's, there's, you know, there's, there's been a lot of speculation about, about, about the motivation of protests, but protesters. But like I mentioned, I think if you look at that, at that uh, survey, the study that came out that was published in Le Mans, the first real serious sociological study into the, the, the protesters, immigration actually factored very, very low on... Oh, uh, uh-huh. When you ask people why are they protesting, so there's been some push, and, and certainly the the kind of more right leaning protesters have, have tried to talk about questions of national identity and immigration. But it, it, it's really clear to me that that's not one of the the demands here. And I think I think you also have to separate, um, and it, maybe that, that the, the, the distinction sounds difficult to make, but I think you have to separate the people that are protesting that have been supporting this movement from. You know the popularity of of of, uh, of the National Front in elections, which sounds like you know maybe a weird distinction to draw, but they both have have working class support. Um, 
the National Front, which has actually now renamed itself. It's called the National Rally Party, mm-hmm. so Marine Le Pen's party. Right. They do have significant support heading into the, into the European elections. But the, 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 mo- one of the most important factors of the National Front, and, uh, sorry, the National Rally, it's right. hard to right. refer to the new name even in France, people, it hasn't, hasn't quite stuck well. <laughs> in the, for good reason. You know, that party really thrives off of uh, low voter turnout and uh, disengagement from politics. I think uh, that's what, what drives people to the national front. They, they do have working class support, but the working class also tends to, 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 uh, what, when, in, to abstain from the vote, what they say in France, so not participate. That's, I think, one of the biggest problems of, of French democracy right now is the fact that increasing amounts of, of working class people are not showing up to vote. And so the ones that do end up voting, you know, a, a, a significant amount of them, too much are voting for the working class, or excuse me, are voting for the National Front. But most people uh, aren't because they're not voting or they're voting for other candidates. And I think that's the real problem here. And we're seeing uh, working class participation in politics drop substantially in France to reach um, levels, you know, more on par with, with the United States, still higher. The, the turnout in, in France was, I think, over 70 percent for the presidential election, wow. which is quite high. Um, you know, compared compared to the U.S., yeah, really. but the low lower income you are in France, the less likely you are to participate. I think that's the the, the problem here. But all that said, um, you know, the National Front does does do well in, in in polls right now, and I think that's because people don't see other options on the table. They don't like Macron. Right. Um, the National Front is also arguably the only real force of the major parties. So between the, between Macron between La France Insoumise, the party I just mentioned, led by Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the left-wing party. Right. So those two, you have uh, Les Républicains, the Republicans, which is the kind of mainstream right-wing party. And then you have the National Rally Party, the National Front. You have these four parties, and of the four parties, the National Rally Party, the National Front, is really the only one that's not contaminated by, by governing, that doesn't have the... Um, you know, that doesn't have the image of, 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 of having governed and not fully realizes its agenda. And so it's, it, it's seen as this kind of anti-establishment vehicle uh-huh. when obviously it isn't, but it's kind of taken on that aura. And what I was alluding to earlier was that they've tried to shed this kind of far-right uh, roots of the party and, and all that baggage that comes with it to yeah. try to reposition themselves as being a, a um, you know, more looking out for... For, for the quote-unquote forgotten France. So exactly the, the kind of people that are, that are protesting in the Yellow Ooh. Bus movement. But important to say, what the people in the Yellow Bus movement are saying is not necessarily what the, what the leaders of the National Front want um, when, it, when, it comes to, when it comes to economics. And, and certainly they don't share Marine Le Pen's obsession with, with immigration. So, yeah. not you know, racist, we no. have an interesting few months ahead of us here in France before the, the European elections in any case. <laughs> And the European elections are coming up uh, in the spring of 2019, is that right? That's in May. All yep. right. And I just want to ask, you know, this seems significant. It's, it's, there's a lot of spectacle to it. A lot of people are involved in it. Young people are fired up about it. Looking into crystal ball, which is always challenging to do, but it's kind of fun, what do you think this will mean for the future of France? Is this going to be a significant movement? Will it, could it make a, like we recently had a blue wave here, is this some sort of sea change, do you think, that uh, will affect French politics from here on out? I think it's significant to the extent that when Emmanuel Macron won his election, there was a lot of talk about him being kind of France's Margaret Thatcher. So yeah, this idea of having great. someone who comes in, who shakes up the political uh, establishment, 
and really fundamentally alters the country's political norms in a in a long-term way. So in the case of Macron, that would be uh, rolling back the French state's involvement in the economy, liberalizing the economy, making France more business-friendly, and cutting back uh, social social programs. So a lot, a lot of a lot of speculation about whether or not France was about to kind of have its Margaret Thatcher moment with Emmanuel Macron. No. And I think the, the, the yeah, and I, 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 <laughs> I think with the, the Yellow Vest movement, um, it's shown that really there is, even if you control parliament, <laughs> even if you have the, the, the government on your side, uh, there is enough popular resistance and pressure um, that exists still in France to, that, that's going to prevent Macron from realizing his his deepest um, you know the, the the vision that he that he wants to uh, achieve, and I think that's really what the Yellow Bus movement signifies. It, it it shows that Macron's quote unquote revolution, the way he's framed it, um, is not going to take place because there's so much resistance to it. And I, I you know I, I think maybe in, in in a few years if if, if you ask me to speculate, so I'll, I'll go ahead and speculate. Sure. If you know a when we, when we look a few years from now at the end of Macron's term, um, if he's not reelected, or even even beyond that, we look at we look at this movement. You know, perhaps it will be the beginning of of maybe only the, the you know the first of of a series of of, of larger protest movements. Because I think I think that's I think that's a really important tension in in, in 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 France today. The fact that you have a president who has a a, a broad agenda, a, a broad majority in parliament that is enacting his agenda, but but also an agenda that is that is at odds with the vast majority of, of the population. You have this really important tension. Macron's approval ratings are underwater. They're lower than than Donald Trump's and significantly so, under thirty percent and, and, and sinking over the last few months. And I think that tension, we could see it, you know, we could see another movement like this. Um, it wow. depends on, on how aggressively the government wants to pursue its agenda. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it shows that there is a resistance that, that is still living in, in France, and I think it's, it's ultimately for the best. Resistance. I got a terrible French accent. But if, thank you so much for being with us and shedding so much light into this confusing area. If people want to read more of, of your work, uh, Cole Stangler, is there a website or something? Uh, yeah, you, you can go to colestangler.com, my website. I also, I also I have a piece out uh, in this newest edition of The Nation, in the newest issue ah, this, this week, so I can check that out as well. Thank you so much for having me. Je souhaiterais que tu manges comme les dauphins. Les dauphins savent nager. Bien que rien, nous quatre ensemble, nous ne vaincrons.